What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. When I think of children's books, one image that almost always comes to my mind is an adult and child cuddled together sharing a beloved story. Reading really is a shared experience, and I know that many of us have wonderful memories of the books our parents or other loved ones shared with us. I especially think of the wonderful bonding moments that reading can provide when I find a good book that celebrates the parent-child relationship. In my reading, I recently came across two books that express the special bond between father and child that I'd like to share with you. Made for Me by Zach Bush and illustrated by Giorgio De Laurentiis captures a larger-than-life dad with a deep red beard who interacts throughout the day with his baby. Playing and laughing together while the baby explores the world around him, the dad expresses his love by repeating, of all the children that could ever be, You are the one made just for me. With a direct rhyming text and bold illustrations that focus entirely on the dad and his baby, this is a beautiful tribute to fathers. Another beautiful tribute to fathers is Dad by My Side by Shush. Her images were originally drawn as part of an online collection and are now gathered to make this delightful book. This time, told from the perspective of the daughter, the story shows how much she loves being with her dad and learning things together. The words are simple and direct, and the illustrations add a big emotional impact. Just like the other story, this picture book shows the father as larger than life, giving these two books an interesting visual connection that I think captures the way a child sees a parent perfectly. As a young child, our parents are so much bigger than us, and these illustrations have exaggerated that effect to show us just how big and important fathers are in the lives of their children. So if you were looking for a book to cuddle up with and share with your little one, why not check out one of these beautiful tributes to fathers on this recommendation from Rachel's World. The world is overflowing with fascinating books, but not all of them are easy to read. Many of us are reluctant to reach for the fruit at the top of the tree. Our first guest, children's book author Michael Buckley, says he too was once a reluctant reader. But today, he's writing the kinds of books he wanted to read when he was young, but shied away from, as many kids do. The fan mail he's getting from both kids and parents confirms that his books are sparking an interest in those who have never wanted to read at all. Buckley is the New York Times bestselling author, not only of the Sisters Grimm series, but also the Nerd series, the YA trilogy, Undertow, and Kel Gilligan's Daredevil stunt show. He's worked in television development for Discovery Channel, TLC, Nickelodeon, and Cartoon Network, where he co-created the animated series, Robotomy. He's also the co-founder of the OMG Book Festival, a traveling middle grade book carnival targeted at reluctant readers and disenfranchised children. Here's Rachel with Michael Buckley. We're on the phone today with Michael Buckley. Welcome, Michael. Hello, hello. We are so glad to have you on today. I am a huge fan of your work, particularly your Sisters Grimm series, and I'm excited to have fan listeners out there get engaged with you and your work or maybe introduce your work to some people who haven't been introduced to it before. So first of all, tell us a little bit about 
what it is you write and why did you start to write? I would say that I primarily write middle grade fiction, which is the audience of 8 to 12. Though I have written a few books for teens, but I think that's primarily what I'm writing. I'm writing for reluctant readers, like kids who don't actually like to read. Uh, This is a good question. This is going to date me, but I think it's been like 12, maybe even 13 years since I actually started considering this an actual occupation (laughs) before it was a bit of a lofty dream that I, I wasn't really sure I was capable of doing. And, uh, I got very lucky, um, with the right people who helped me, uh, to put together my first book and it, it got published very quickly. And, and, um, ever since I've been a full-time children's book author. That's very neat to be able to kind of live the dream, which I think is an exciting thing that most authors find. You mentioned reluctant readers, and I really agree that that is an audience, a really strong audience for your work. So when you started out writing and publishing, was that an audience that you picked that you felt like was going to be one that you wanted to write to? Or was that just a wonderful, happy accident? Well, I'm not not sure I would say it was a conscious uh, decision, but... I was always a reluctant reader, and when I was a kid, the books that I gravitated toward were big adventures with lots of humor and uh, lots of uh, twists, and 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 I've always sort of leaned towards that and other kinds of entertainment as well. So I don't know. I think it was just sort of time-stamped onto my brain that I should be writing books that I would have wanted to read. And uh, luckily, there's a huge audience that is completely underserved in children's books of kids who don't like to read. And somebody once told me I was doing the uh, the heavy lifting when it comes to getting kids to read because I'm going after the ones that are very hard to get. But the truth is, it's like if you can get a if you can get them, they come in in droves. But you have to be able to give them what they want. I know as a librarian, I'm immensely grateful for authors like yourself who really are trying to reach that particular audience. So particularly as you've written your books and gotten them out there, what kind of response have you got from readers that help you see that you really are meeting this need, particularly of those reluctant readers? Uh, The response that I'm getting is, well, I mean, you know, sales is an easy thing to judge by, but I do get a tremendous amount of fan mail. And a lot of it is from kids and parents who are telling me that before they read one of my books, they never liked to read at all. And that what I had written sparked a a renewed interest in reading. The thing that I think bewilders me more than anything is is that there are kids and parents and even teachers out there who have taken on my books and are teaching them and um, reaching kids that they probably thought were unreachable. So I suppose uh, there's an amazing, lovely side effect to all of this that I never expected. But the, the kids, they're definitely vocal, and they uh, they definitely let me know they're out there. I love that sense that you feel that both teachers and 
parents and other uh, groups of adults are kind of embracing your work, too, for the types of things that they see it brings out in their kids. So what have you heard from that group of, of fans that lets you know you're reaching the readers? Well, a lot of times they'll send me photographs of their kids reading. Um, sometimes they let me know that their class voted, you know, one of my books, their favorite book. Or I've come to this conclusion that, like, the kind of books that I write aren't the kind that win, you know, Newbery Awards. But uh, I do win a lot of Children's Choice Awards, which is really incredibly gratifying. Uh, so I think the kids are telling their teachers and their librarians and their parents that this is something that really appeals to them. And then they want more and more and more of it. I, what I hope is, is that I'm opening a door to them to take chances on other books as well. But those kids are uh, drawing me pictures. They're making fan art. There's, uh, there's even... Um, Sisters Grimm and, and Nerds fan fiction online. There there was a site. I don't know if it's still there, but it was it was called fanfiction.net. And the last time I checked, there were more than fifty thousand Sisters Grimm stories written by people who love the book. So I don't know. There's just something about it that appeals to them, and I'm thrilled because I honestly thought the book would come out and then. You know, it would be out of print in a couple of years, and I'd just go back to doing what I was doing. I love that sense that you were able to create something, and now the kids are making it their own. Did that surprise you, that kind of fan fiction response to your work? Yeah, I, the fan fiction um, craze that started a few years ago um, really did take me by surprise. And I, I, I suppose I wasn't surprised to see things like Harry Potter getting a lot of attention. But I, I was very surprised to see how many people were in, into the Sisters Grimm. And the more I, I dove into those stories to see what people were writing, the more I realized that this was a great outlet for kids who want to be writers, that it was a great place to practice the craft and learn some skills because the stories would be posted and then you know, other people would read them and critique them. And, and the, the, the idea was that they were going to try and make the stories better and make everybody a better writer. And the, the, to me, if I can help a kid realize that dream um, in any way, including like taking one of my stories and, and taking it in a direction I never thought to take it, um, you know, if that leads them into a path, uh, uh, not only as a reader, but as a, a writer, then I'm thrilled because, honestly, being a writer is the best job I've ever had. So I would love an army of children to to, to get out their laptops and their, those old pound typewriters and, the, and even a pen and paper and, and start working on their own, on their own stories. Michael, I... Really appreciate that sense because that connection for reading and writing for kids is one that I really advocate for as a teacher. And I really appreciate authors who can take that and and help their readers understand that this is this is the next step. So thank you so much for embracing your fans in such a fundamental way. <laughs> well, they're pretty amazing people. And, and to be honest, I think that most kids don't even have a sense of what a writer does. So 
you know, when one of them starts to pay attention, you know, that's really a miracle. I'm always thrilled to encourage it. Well, thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate your insights today and I'm very grateful for the work you do and the way that you engage a particular audience of kids who really need your books. So thank you for all the work you do. Children's book author Michael Buckley talking about his books that have sparked kids' desire to read. Next, literacy expert Melanie Kuhn shares some of the basic things we can do as adults to help struggling readers. These include children who don't have access to books in the home or who avoid reading because they think of themselves as poor readers. Melanie R. Kuhn is the Jean Adamson Stanley Professor in Literacy at Purdue University. She received her Ph.D. in reading education from the University of Georgia and has written two books on fluency, along with numerous scholarly articles and chapters. Her most recent book is Developing Fluent Readers, co-authored with Laurel Levy. Her research also includes literacy instruction for struggling readers. Here's Rachel and Melanie Kuhn. We're on the phone with Melanie today. Welcome, Melanie. Hey, Rachel. It's nice for you to have me. Well, I am so excited to have you here, particularly because I would like to discuss with you a very important topic, and that is about those readers in our lives that are struggling or having problems with their reading. I know that there's a lot of concerned adults out there, teachers and parents and aunts and uncles who who are concerned about those kids in their lives that have that struggle going on about about their reading lives. So what is it that you think we can do? What are some basic things that we can do maybe to kind of close that gap between those who are struggling and, and other students who might be a little more advanced than them? It's an interesting question because it's such a complex question. Stanovich always talks about the garden variety poor reader. Those readers need an approach that's different, I think, than children who would be traditionally labeled learning disabled or dyslexic. I think the thing with garden variety poor readers, students who don't have access to lots of text in the home or avoid text because they found that they aren't good readers, they're the kinds of students that you need to spend time building up their oral language, their vocabulary their conceptual knowledge. There's lots of ways you can do that. And then you have students who are have learning disabilities or are dyslexic, and they need, in my opinion, they need more direct instruction than the other students. I think this is one of the most interesting things. Sometimes when we talk about a struggling reader, we put them in this kind of broad general category. And for me, as a literacy specialist, one of the things that I do when somebody says, oh, my child is a struggling reader or a poor reader, I try to develop an understanding of what it is that is preventing them from being a good reader, right? Could be a learning disability. There could be comprehension problems, there could be vocabulary problems, there could just be a lack of interest, there could be labeling, all of those kinds of things. So let's talk maybe a little bit more about those that are non-learning disabled, that don't have physical structures that might prevent them, those kind of poor readers. Let's start with them and what kinds of things would you suggest to help achieve more success with reading with those kinds of readers? So I think the first thing you can do is find out what kids like to read about or what they like to do and connect in that way to their interests because 
you're more likely to read about something you're interested in. And because you have that background knowledge, you're more likely to be successful reading about something you're interested in. And showing them that they can be successful and that reading a sports column in a newspaper is as important in their lives as reading a textbook at school is a really nice, gentle way of teaching them that they can be successful readers. That connection with conceptual knowledge and and children's interests, I think, is key. I've certainly had experiences in my career where just connecting the right kind of book with the right kind of reader is what's opened that. And sometimes it's not what you would expect. So have you had those kinds of experiences working with students? That's a great question. I have worked with struggling readers. I almost don't dare admit it's been over 30 years. And I have seen that happen oftentimes, that if you can just show them that they're successful, that they do read. You know, we used to use Carmen Sandiego or Oregon Trail as a good way of getting into reading because those were text-heavy computer games that you needed to do a lot of reading for to make those decisions. I've had kids who've read about sports or horses or pets or just about anything. And they've found themselves that they can build up. You would know this, but calling it ladders, where you might read a a simple book about tadpoles and then read an increasingly complex so that you read three or four books on the same subject that they're interested in, starting with the easiest and building your way up. Or you could read the most difficult book to a student, and they could build their way up. Partner reading is another great way of doing that, where they read a page and you read a page with them. But yes, absolutely, finding out their interests and then finding texts that that meet those interests is, is critical to helping them see themselves as readers. That concept of ladders, I think, is one that we as educators are very familiar with. And I think it's one that most adults are familiar with in their own lives. You know, if you haven't had a lot of experience, say, with astronomy, you're not going to dive into a graduate level astronomy book (laughs) to be able to understand that, right? Melanie, I don't want to negate the fact that we haven't really spoken towards those students that have real learning disabilities or who are dyslexic. And I know we're running out of time here in our conversation, and I, I feel kind of bad kind of shortchanging them. But is there one or two things that you could recommend, particularly for those families or parents that might suspect that their child actually does have one of these kind of more severe reading problems that makes them a struggling reader? I think the first thing, if it's possible, I would want to find out what areas the child is having difficulties with and what kind of instructional approaches are being used. There are many instructional approaches that focus on helping your children almost overlearn certain basics. And I think for some children, absolutely, that's useful. Many children don't need to go through a direct instruction approach for learning the alphabet for learning sight words. But some children do. They need more exposure. They need to spend more time. And if your child happens to be one of those children, then I would want you to find out what resources are available in your school 
And also go look on the Internet, see what is available out there and see what people are advocating. And also recognize that while that is an important step in your child's learning, that they don't need to spend their entire life doing that. Once they're fluent, once they have word recognition, once they have alphabet recognition that's solid, you want to move on to expanding their other knowledge I have a friend who works on decoding dyslexia. That's a great resource. Orton-Gillingham, there is um, Wilson. There are lots of programs out there that can be effective, but make sure they're the appropriate program for your child before you um, commit to them. Because if you can find out that it really is something more basic than even that, we've had children come to the clinic who have had vision problems. We've had children come to the clinic with hearing problems. You want to explore all the options before you make a diagnosis and make sure that you get professional help from the people who are around you in your school, in your community, at local universities, because they can all help you figure out what's best for your child. That's a wonderful recommendation. I can't second your statements more. I think particularly with these kinds of disabilities that that professional help and those professional resources are amazing and making sure that we can tap into those as parents is is critical for our students to be able to develop the kinds of skills they need with the right instructional techniques. I'm dyslexic myself. Growing up a dyslexic, I know how harmful poor instructional techniques that didn't work for me <laughs> were to yeah. my to my reading life and I you know Orton Gilliam was my my savior <laughs> as a yes, as a reader absolutely. yeah yeah my, but the other things didn't work so yeah yeah my major professor used to say I'll try anything that w- will work because when you see that something isn't you need to move on to something new and for um some children um that's Orton-Gillingham. For some children, that's this star. For some children, it's just establishing a broader oral, as we said earlier, a broader awareness of vocabulary and conceptual knowledge. So there's multiple approaches, and I would not shy away from any of them as long as they help a particular child become a better reader. That's a perfect note to end on as we look at struggling readers, just understanding that there's lots of different problems and there's lots of different ways to help and everyone needs to just find the best thing for them. I think that that is a great tip to end on. Thank you so much, Melanie, for your thoughts and insights today. Thank you so much, Rachel, for having me. Literacy expert Melanie Kuhn, sharing ways we can help struggling readers to become better readers. We finish up the show with Cole Wissinger of The World's Awaiting Team. I talked to him about his personal interest in literature, something that was nurtured by his early home life. To begin with, Cole, tell me about your upbringing and your parents' love of books. Absolutely. So I grew up in a home that read. We always had a book that we were working on, and my parents made sure that I knew that. So from a young age, I would just listen to my parents. My dad would read out loud to us. Even when I was just a baby, right, if they were reading The Lord of the Rings, I would be in the same room. I'd be playing, and I wouldn't get a lot of it, but it kind of established the fact that in our home, we read books, and I was a part of that from a very young age. Isn't that great? 
And reading can really enhance our brains, I think, and our souls. And the fact you were listening, you were observing that at a young age, I would imagine that affected your vocabulary and kind of your outlook on life. What a wonderful blessing to have parents that really cared about reading. And didn't you say that before they were married, when they were dating, they were reading to each other? Right after they got married, before I was born, they were living here in Provo. And they would take the bus every day to Salt Lake, where my dad would work. In that 45 or hour long bus ride, they would also read out loud. My dad would have a book that they would read. And they got to the point where there were others that were kind of on the same work schedule that they were. They would kind of gather around the bus seats so they could hear the book that they were reading. So they were influencing other people. They kind of started their own little book club on the bus to Salt Lake City. Isn't that marvelous? Tell me about your mom and how she made books important despite her disability. So, like I said, my dad would read out loud, um, and the reason it was my dad is because my mom is actually blind. From the moment she was born, she hasn't been able to see. And so my dad would read out loud so that they could read together, and I would be a part of that. But my mom also reads Braille, which is the way blind folks can read. It's bumps on a page. And she would buy these... They look very large to us that read print, but it takes more space to print in Braille. Um, There would be these very large Dr. Seuss books, or Go Dog Go, or uh, Are You My Mother, and these very classic children's books she would get in Braille form as well. So she would be involved in reading to me as well when I was little. You got to have the (laughs) mother-son nurturing, which is wonderful. You had your dad there too, but isn't that neat? She could sit in her lap probably. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that book would take up both of our laps, too, kind (laughs) of. It's funny, if you get a chance to see what a Braille book looks like, Mm -hmm. a a book like the Bible, we know, I mean, it's pretty thick, but you can Mm -hmm. hold it in one hand, generally, Mm -hmm. takes up 18 volumes in Braille. We we have a library room in our home. One entire shelf is just my mom's Braille version of the Bible. My goodness, she wanted to read to her child. (laughs) And she did. That's wonderful. Now talk about your dad and his reading habits and what he shared with you. My dad, in addition to loving the fantasy, also imparted upon me his love of comic books. My dad was a kid in the 1950s and 60s, which was the silver age of comics, especially for Marvel. So he established all of these collections that for years just sat in my grandma's attic. But when I was... Around late elementary school, early middle school age, we went up to the attic and I discovered all of these old comic books of my dad's and he shared them with me and now they all sit in my room at our home and I've read quite a lot of X-Men and Thor and The Flash and the books that my dad read when he was my age, he then got to share with me when I was that young age as well. You know, on, on Antiques Roadshow, there's people that come in with these comic books and they're quite valuable <laughs> if you ever, you know. I, anyway. Ours have been read enough that I'm not oh. sure they have quite the value <laughs> okay. as some of these pristine ones that That's you see cute. on TV. But we've gotten our use out of them. Well, yes, your dad and then you. Uh-huh. Isn't that marvelous? I love it. Well, thanks, Cole. This has just been a total delight to talk to you. Cole Wissinger of the World's Awaiting Team, talking about his love of literature, fostered at home when he was young. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting, a production of BYU Radio. Learn more about us at byuradio.org.